0: When you finally get a sponsor in China to get your visa, you still have to take a health check to make sure you don't have contagious diseases. And there's a special hospital for this in Shanghai on the other side of the river. So I had to figure out, like, you know, that I had to do it and where it was and go by myself and find it. And while I'm going through room to room getting, you know, an eye check, an ear check, blah, blah, blah. There's a guy a couple rooms up ahead of me going through the process and he's like loudly complaining and you peek out. And yeah, of course, it's like an older business guy with his beautiful assistant Chinese. But not only that, also another Chinese assistant with him because he couldn't possibly go through this whole thing with just one Chinese assistant. And, I, and you know, he's just bitching, basically. So I see the, the guy later after I finish the whole thing. This hospital is really close to a place called Wei Street. La Wai is, like, the the word for foreigner. And this street is all, like, western-ish bars. And it's not even late at night, but they're open, so there's a place where you can get, like, a burger. There's probably, like, a Mexican food place. There's, like, probably, like, a German beer house. And I'm just getting to there. I don't know how I got there. I guess I took a car, but he was getting there, too. And he was with the other two Chinese... And I just said, hey, you just were at the, whatever, foreign hospital too. And he was like, yeah. And I was like, you want to eat together? And he was like, you could tell he was like hesitant. And then he was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, it's like, that is a good idea, you know. So I was like, I was going to go to the Shanghai Brewery, you know. And he was like, okay, yeah, let's go there. And we're starting to walk in the door and the, the pretty assistant's like, uh. And he says something like, you can eat a salad. You can eat here, you know. Something like she was only was going to eat something healthy. I don't know. But you could tell even from that interaction that it's like he's not, doesn't care what you want to eat. Like, we're eating here like tough shit. I'm paying your salary. So I ate with him. I'm trying to remember how that conversation went. Um, but we got along. But at the same time, I'm like, it was still early in my living in China career. And I was kind of judging the, the several types of foreigners that live in China. One of them is like the boss, the, the foreign CEO. And that's what this guy is. And he he was trying to launch a dip and Dots knockoff. I believe it was called Cool Drops. So we befriended and we kept in touch. And every once in a while we would meet up. I think I went, his office was just like a block away from where I lived at. He had like a two-story office for these two assistants and I was, like, really envious. I mean, not envious, but I really wanted to get in on that. Like, man, that would be super awesome, like, launching a, a big national ice cream-like company over here. And I went out to eat with him a few times and had drinks or whatever we did, and I kept trying to steer it back to his business, what he was trying to do and, like, what I could do. And he would always steer it back to, like, how are you getting girls, man? Like, where are you, where are you getting these girls from? What do you say to them? And how do you get them over to your place? And And he kept pounding away at that, and I kept trying to, like, you know, cover that topic and then pull it back into, some like, what, is, what his marketing plan is, like, what could I do? So I kept pushing that angle, and I, I finally got, like, a meeting with him and his one of his assistants, and I came up with this, like, I don't know, marketing theme, where cool drops were, like, characters, and there was, like, they each had each drop had its own, like, style, and that came with the flavors, and blah, blah, blah. And he didn't seem to really give a shit. He was kind of just asking his assistant, like, is this cool? You like this or what? And it would always go back to, like, were you getting these girls? Like, every time we would talk. And one of the things I told him is I use a a feature on WeChat called Look Around. And anybody who's using that Look Around feature will see you, and you can see them. You can filter by female or male. So I, I met a lot of girls that lived near me that way, and... He thought that because I lived in a more populated neighborhood than he lived in, that if he moved closer to me, that he would be able to get more dates, and he did. He actually moved to use that feature. So he was, like, completely focused on this, and, like, every time we tried to, I tried to talk about business with him, is, it always went back to that subject. Eventually, I convinced them to let me take pictures of these, this ice cream And I rented a a studio that my roommate's girlfriend's friend had. And I had, I don't know, a couple hours in there. And I didn't know, I didn't really know how to take photos. I mean, you figure you just push a button, right? So I had thought ahead, like, I'm going to take a picture of this every minute or so of these ice cream melting. And then I'm going to play it in reverse in like a GIF or something and put it on the website. So it's like, it becomes drops from like melted ice cream. That was one of the things I was trying to achieve. Aside from just like pictures, because he didn't have like menu pictures. So I'm taking the photos, the ice cream's melting. It's taking a long time. At the very end of the shoot, the owner of the studio comes up to me and she's like, Why don't you use a flash? You're never gonna get a sharp image if you're not using the flash. Well all the ice cream's already like melted. And I didn't know that. So needless to say pictures I guess weren't that great and what I delivered to him he was like man I can't use these I think he paid me like 500 bucks to do it whatever but I don't think anything was going well in his drops thing eventually his partner came to Shanghai and they were based out of, I think Indiana or no 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 Kansas City and I, I kind of had the same conversation with him like you know what's your marketing this that the other and he's like hmm so his partner was like a a funds manager so they had all kinds of other things going on and he was like yeah geez I didn't think about that like I think we do need somebody who's really thinking about that like you know there's a chance for me to get and I said something like you know my visa is going to expire in two months and I'm going to need a sponsor and you could see that just like changed his whole attitude it was like whoa whoa like I don't want to have to like do something or be small, respond- like, like you know, this, this is like off the hinge kind of person. He doesn't understand. Like this is what it takes to live in China. You have to, you have to live by the seat of your pants in this way to like really last. So that didn't really evolve to anything. But meanwhile, I had already started to develop my own business idea because when I left that first company. I was tr- going all around the city trying to find other like quick gigs between a middleman. And I decided if I could cut out the middleman and we'd have a website that was based like m- my previous company, in America, it was called Memberfuse, And, you know, people could find each other. I was going to have Teach English Nearby as a, a English website and uh, something like, uh, I don't know, xie ying Yu. A Chinese named website for Chinese to find teachers. So we cut out the middleman and I'd make more money and I could find people who are close to me. Because where I was, like, I was having to go all around the city to teach English to people that live right in my neighborhood that would be happy to learn English. So I started to focus on this and I just knew that MemberFuse was built on something called Drupal. I didn't even know what Drupal was. So I found like, a local Drupal meetup with, like, half foreigners, half Chinese. And that was run by a guy named David from France. David had partnered with a Chinese, and he had, like, a well-established, like, website building kind of a company. And I went there every weekend. No, yeah, let me think. Yeah, I would give up my weekends, which is, like, a really important day for teaching, to go over and meet with these guys. And I eventually convinced one of the guys that was going to Drupal... ...to partner with me to try to build this website. So I did a lot of the legwork and graphics design... ...and the functionality of the hit point functionalities... ...and worked with him every weekend we would meet up. And then we tried to grow a little bit bigger. I tried to add more people to the group. We worked on it for a while. And I think it just became too much for him. You know, he had like a full-time job. He had a new baby. He lived in a really small apartment. Um, But we became good friends... And eventually like that stopped and I had found more people through the Drupal network and worked with them. I think I went through three teams in a while's time. And during that time, I was researching how to start my own business in China. There was a place on my street, actually. There was all these places on your street, you'd never know. And there was a Shanghainese guy who his whole thing was helping foreigners establish businesses in China. So I had lots of questions and we would talk. And we met up several times, and it was very complicated. I had done all this before when I was in America, trying to start a business at a younger age. So I knew all of the things I had to do in America, and I had to relearn everything for how that would happen in China. And I'll give you some insights. Now, these things change every year, but, but this will help you to understand how easy it is to open a business in America and why you're privileged to live here at all. One of the things you have to do before you even can apply... To have a business in China is to already have a lease signed agreement on an office or retail space before you can even be issued or request or submit for the application to be a business. You have to have an address, a real address. Okay. next step, if you're a foreign entity trying to become a business in China, you have to deposit like 100,000 RMB into the bank cash. Real fact. You also have to have something like 51% of the company owned by another Chinese. So, for all these things, like everything in China, sometimes they say there's always a way. One of the ways is like, if you give a Chinese person your ID and give him some money, he'll put all the money in the bank account, the government will check it, you give him the money back, he gives your ID back, and that's one of the steps you could do to, issue, to get your business issued in China. There were workarounds depending on the Guanxi network, the relationship network between the Shanghainese. If they have a relationship with the police, they could get a, an address in like a closet in somebody's office space for a short time until it was issued. And that would work out. It was all part of the network and finding a way to do it. Now it gets even more complicated. If you don't want to have like the 51% ownership by another Chinese, you can have a parent company in Hong Kong and that works Best if you're going to have partners, which, of course, I was in my business. So if you want to sell shares and you want to split up ownership in the company, you can't do it in China in any easy way. Like it's 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 a long drawn out process. You have to apply with the government to get a share. And then it has to like be very clear and you can't change the value. And it's not open-ended. There's a certain amount. But if you have a company in Hong Kong that owns the company in mainland China, then you can expand shares more and more. Basically, Hong Kong is the vehicle you need to do real business in China. And that's why Hong Kong has always been exceptionally successful, because it's been that transport or vehicle in between international business and Chinese business. So while I'm learning all of these things, I'm also building the site and trying to find affiliate companies that I could kind of partner with once I do launch, I probably won't mention the names of these companies, but one of them was an online tutoring or is an online tutoring site. So in order to contact them, I had to find who manages the company. And by doing that, I found who the board of directors were. One of them was also like the director of the local venture capital network, not local, like the Chinese venture capital network. On top of that, the guy's resume was insane it was like this venture capital that venture capital this bank that bank so I was like this guy's gonna know because I was already trying to figure out how we're gonna do ownership structure in this business like clearly I wasn't doing the programming so that person was gonna need to cut the person who was doing like some of the legwork some of the other stuff I had I basically had like five people on my third team that we were working with. We would rent space on the weekend and we'd meet up. But it became like I wasn't paying anybody. So that's not true. Actually, I was paying some people to do some things. But still, like we're trying to make this big business. So who's getting what cut? And it became really complicated and I needed help. So I figured this guy, if anybody was going to know how to deal with this, this guy was going to know. So I contacted him and then I contacted him and then I contacted him and then I contacted him. And sometimes he would reply and we'd set something up and then the date would have to change or he wouldn't be there. He ended up putting me in touch with somebody else and I went to meet him one day. It's like a, I had to take like the day off and go across town and bus to bus to bus because I was poor. And I still couldn't find the guy and he wouldn't answer his phone. Any normal person would have already given up. But I kept just rescheduling with the guy and reaching out to, like, really bothering the dude. And finally, the day came, and I remember, like, the air was so bad that morning. And I was waiting for the bus. I didn't have a mask, so, like, all the cars driving by, I was kicking up the dust or the sand and the grit and the air pollution. And my throat was burning. Like, it's, it was like I was swallowing glass. I got there and I got like a tea in the lobby of the building he was in. And I came up and he wasn't there. And I stood there waiting and waiting and waiting. And then he came and he looked at me like, who the fuck are you? Like, what are you doing in front of my door? Like, he didn't remember. So he let me in. I was drinking my tea and he was like, you could tell he's like trying to wake up. You know, it was like a private moment for him trying to wake up. And he's like, okay, good. You have coffee. I had tea actually, but I remember that. And I had printed out, um, I had printed out phone boards of like walking, walking to walk him through the site. So I could just like do that instead of mess with the computer. It was a big blown up picture of how the site works. I was walking him through. And at the end of the presentation, I was just asking like, how do I, you know, I'm probably going to take $10,000 in like seed financing is what I'm going to ask for I have somebody in mind, blah, blah. And his response was, put me down for 2000 I wasn't, wasn't asking him for money. I just wanted to know how I was going to deal with that stuff. But that really blew my mind. I mean, I was poor. Like I said, I was taking buses around in China. A bus is 2 RMB, which is uh, like, I don't know, 25 cents or less in USD. So that's how poor I was. I was. I mean, I'm not much better off now. But but for somebody to just be like, hey, I'll do a couple thousand, you know, when I wasn't asking for it, that's a big deal for me. That doesn't just happen, you know. So I was elated. Like, that was amazing to me because that's also like a partnership. I'm now like maybe going to engage in a relationship with this guy that I can call upon him when I have problems and stuff. So he ended up getting a phone call. He walked me out to the elevator. I remember him on the phone call being like, yeah, it's a $30 billion market. Still to this day, this guy has hundreds, if not thousands of like businesses he's uh, managing the money for, if you can put it that way. In fact, he told me he was a top third education investor in China. And I was just ecstatic that that he would offer that to me. And, I, and he was like, yeah, just email me like your bank account information and I'll send it. So when I got in the taxi, it was still early enough in the morning where I could call my parents, and I called my mom, and before I could even tell her, she was like, my sister was driving home on I-95, and she hasn't answered her phone, and she never doesn't answer her phone, and I've been calling her all night. Like, I guess it was the next day already, and I'm worried. And I already knew that means something is... Seriously wrong because you know. In fact, I kind of, I kind of was breaking it to my mom that it's not, she's not just not answering her phone. So here I am to try to tell like one of the most excited things, like finally getting some credibility in my startup venture, and I can't because it's also the worst day, one of the worst days of my mom's life. So, and my aunt because she was, she did die. She did pull into a hotel check-in, go to the bathroom, and pass out. So that was nothing to be celebrated that day. There was another director of that company that I wanted to get in touch with who seemed like an American. I can't remember why I thought that, but he was like Chinese face, um, Tom something. And I reached out to him for for similar reasons, I guess. I think I had already started to reach out to him because the other guy wasn't responding. And I did finally meet up with that guy as well. And we met in like a really nice Western restaurant. And I remember sitting down at the table across from him when I met him and he was still on his phone and he was like just drawing out conversation with his family, acting like I wasn't there. You know, I'm meeting you. You could maybe like tell him to hold on a second and like say hi to me. But I just sat there like acting like I was comfortable or cool. And he just like chatted with his family for like... A long time, like eight minutes of me just sitting there. Like like I wanted to just get up and be like, fuck this guy, dude. You know, how rude is that? Anyway, he gets off the phone and he's basically like, you know, what's your deal? What's your background? Something like that. So this guy was actually the CEO of McDonald's in China for a period of time. And then he was the CEO of Nike in China for a period of time. But I think he's an American born Chinese. I mean, pretty damn sure. So I told him. When I was 18, I developed this invention and I patented it. I had my own startup company. He's like, whoa, 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 what's the invention? So I'm like, it's a guitar jacket. It's like interchangeable face cover." And he like lit up. He's like, yo, yo, yo. He didn't say yo, yo, yo. But he was like, ho, 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 whoa, whoa, whoa. What's that? Like, let's talk about that business. So I was like, well, I think I lost the patent. Maybe I can get it back. Because they expire if you don't maintain them with money, which I didn't have. Which is crazy unfortunate. Because I had put seven years of my life into that and a ton of money. But it was like, okay, well, okay, we can do that. But uh, I do have this other thing I'm working on. you know. And he's like, all right. So I told him about it. And he's like, okay, what happens if, like, you're teaching somebody Chinese and you're, like, elbow, knee, penis? And I'm like, uh, well, I mean, there'll be, like, agreements on the site where you can't, you know, you're responsible for that kind of stuff. He's like, okay, because that's, like, that's the main thing, blah, 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 blah. And we had a chat, whatever. So I told him I'd look into the guitar jacket and stuff when I get, got back home. And I did. And I talked to my patent attorney. He was like, if, if you can in 24 hours, like, pay me $6,000, I can get it back. But now that you've disclosed to me that you know your patent is expired, I can only, like, by law represent you for, like, 24 hours. Something like that. I mean, this is a real thing. Once you know your patent is expired, you have to, like, immediately pay the maintenance plus late fees on it. So I had to write this email to the guy that was like, I have great news, I can get the patent back, but I need like $6,000 tomorrow or today. So surprise, surprise, he didn't write me back. And then I mentioned to the other guy, hey, you know, this guy was interested in this guitar jacket and he's not responding. Maybe you could call him. And the guy was like, I don't do that kind of thing. So that was the end of that guy. And then I was telling one of my roommates about it. So I lived with a German guy, of were three guys, if you recall, a Taiwanese, an Australian, and a German. The German was much older than me, like I'd say fifteen years older than me. Who was a partner of an architecture firm, and he was—he's got his PhD in Chinese studies. And I was telling him about what I was working on. And I think I showed him some of it, like showed him the website that I built so far, and told him where I was. And he's like, well, "What do you need to do?" He's like, "I was like, I need more money. You know, I need like X amount of money." And he was like, "Well." I'll give you the money. He's like, I'm going to Europe for like, I don't remember, like three months or something. And uh, just remind me before I go. I have the cash and I'll just give it to you. And that was a little weird to like remind somebody that you're going to give me cash. But what I ended up doing was emailing him and the main big time investor guy once a month, giving them like full updates, which I like to do that because I like, because I do like writing and kind of capturing. Work I've done that keeps me busy and then that caused me to have accountability and it was like look I'm doing all this stuff like feel free to tell me what you think I should do here's everything and I remember calling the main guy a few times being like how do I do this investment thing like and and he finally was just like look man I'm a I'm a silent partner I'm not telling you how to do anything you do it and that was the main reason the startup fell apart is because everybody was doing a different amount of work different amount of educational work Someone was doing something really technical. Someone was doing something much less technical. And I couldn't figure, none of us could figure who got what share. And I tried to put it in like a calculation into a spreadsheet and it just turned everybody off. So it ended. But at some point I even remember driving my e-bike down to do a a pitch at like a competition for startups. And there was three judges sitting there. One of them was the investor that already put money to my company and I had to, pitched this thing that he already knew about and I think I killed it because I was there early enough to hear the speech before mine and it was terrible it was like two punk kids basically being like yeah we, we, we think vintage clothes are cool so what we do is like we get vintage clothes and fix them and sell them it's like that's not a startup business that takes investment dude you know meanwhile like I geared mine towards successfully launched Pitch decks and I practiced and I had a timer. I even had a timer when I did the speech so that I would be exactly five minutes. But anyway, through that whole process of having a startup and learning about how things work in China a lot, I also contacted the CEO of another company that I wanted to be affiliated with. And I won't mention the name here, but it was the same sort of thing. It was like email, email, email. And then being like, uh, no, like, who are you? What? And I kept saying like, you know, I'll be in town. I wasn't going to be in town. In fact, I might have already told some of that story. And it was like, well, I guess if you're in town, and I ended up meeting the CEO founder and we hit it off. Like it was, we we're both on the same page of everything we were talking about. It was a really good conversation. And so when he came to Shanghai to meet with his investors or do his pitches, we would meet up and we became friends that way. And he had studied in America. I think he he went to Berkeley. And then he also lived in Korea for four years. So this was not just like... A, he was born in Hong Kong. He's actually a Hong Kongese. So he, he wasn't just like trying to become a mainlander. That's a different story. And that's... My roommate, my German roommate could tell more about that. Because there, there's a totally different protocol for mainland Chinese businesses. Which is always evolving. But I guess like... I'm just going to guess maybe starting from the era of Deng Xiaoping was this kind of unwritten rule that you should meet five to seven times with your you know, preferred client. You're trying to buy the business. Two things are happening. the The one who's offering the service is trying to buy your business by taking you out and spending money on you. And you're both trying to build a trusting relationship because I guess when you don't have legal background that you have in America where everybody's like, like contracts matter and you have court cases and maybe juries, I don't know. But but you know, instead of all that, you just have to have a trusting relationship. And one of the things they do is get wasted with each other over and over again. So almost every mid-sized Chinese company has the boss's room. It's like kind of like a sweatshop in the main room. And the back room is like a nice room with... It's almost always the same too. The layout is always the same. It's like a leather couch with the tea table and then another leather couch then the desk and behind the desk you have like the the, the shelves and on the shelves you have a, a bottle of wine which is new. I mean, it used to just be like Chinese wine but in, since the time that I came to China like foreign wine more and more and then cigars which is also like a newer-ish thing. So when you meet up, you have to get wasted and go out and eat and and go to KTV and become bros and it's not stupid it's like when you see someone wasted like they can't hide what they think anymore so that's a real big part of it but it's really exhausting if you have to do that all the time as a CEO like trying to build business relationships or business development and that's what my roommate's like role in the company was clearly like German architecture firm is going to do well in China. They have a lot of respect for German engineering, but his job was to go all around China and do this to build this guanxi with, with all these Chinese bosses. But you know, these, these back rooms you see all over China, this was not the boss of the company that I was befriending that this was the guy I was friending was like I said, a Hong Kong niece who spoke English really well and wasn't of that culture. But he did have the same kind of back room in his office. And when I go to Shenzhen, we'd hang out. when he came to Shanghai, we hung out. And I think it's really clear when you start to dabble in business ownership in China that that owning a business in China is great. I mean, you see advertisements like hiring female receptionists must be like between five foot six and, of course, it's in centimeters, but whatever, five foot six and five foot eight. Uh, you know, needs long, black, straight hair, must wear high heels, send picture. You d- you can do that in China. Like, in America, it's like you, you're not allowed to do that stuff unless it's, like, anti-white. You can say, like, we're only hiring females for this position, and everybody's like, oh, that's great. If you were to say you're only hiring males, it's like, oh, go to jail, dude. You're a terrible person. Anyway, like, people all do the same thing in, like, a roundabout way. At least they're straightforward in China. It's like... In America, it's like, I'll meet you for a, quote, interview, unquote. But there, it's like, like, let's make sure you're pretty. Obviously, we want a pretty person representing our business. Like, Sorry, that's just reality. And I got to respect that about places like China and a lot of the world. It's like, yeah, yeah, like nice ideal that nobody really believes. But it becomes clearer and clearer, like being a business owner in China it's almost more liberating than being a business owner in America. Like in America, everything's laid out and you can figure your way around and navigate very easily. But in China, it's like, you're kind of left alone. You're kind of your own God in a certain sense. And in the companies, like even in Chinese language, they call you the leader, you know, he's our leader. And it doesn't even matter if we know he's wrong. He's our leader. And you're expected to answer that phone. Anytime it rings, if it's your leader calling, if you're an employee, it's almost like borderline slavery. Like you don't, you're not expected to have a personal life. Like you've devoted yourself to my cause. So there you have it. In this podcast, you got the uh, startup entrepreneur, me. Then you have the foreign entity of the ice cream company. You got the, I should mention that the investor, the big investor was half China, or is half Chinese. So whatever you want to call that foreign investor in China, then you got the foreign big time mainland boss, then I mentioned the Hong Kongese boss in mainland. Then I briefly covered what bosses in mainland are like. There's a nice picturesque for you. And I hope that the takeaway, some of the takeaway would be that if you got an idea for a business in America, you don't have an excuse not to try it. You got to try it. I mean, the fact that you can get a limited liability company within like an hour, maybe two which didn't used to be even that easy. And they didn't even used to have LLCs. And you can open a business bank account the same day. I mean, and, and it's too hard for you. and it's, Rich people are bad. Come on. All right. And, and another takeaway is you're going to learn things all along the way and make contacts with people you wouldn't have otherwise made contacts with. And you'll get respect for, some, for having good ideas and thought out plans, which you're not going to have by not trying. And my my next job became one of those contacts, and I still know the others. So, had I not have done that, I mean, my resume sucks. It would just be an English teacher, which is mostly what my resume was in China. But this gave me the opportunity to say, no, I actually have more skills and abilities than just being from America, which is what it feels like to be an English teacher. So, that's what a CEO might be like in China, if you know him. And if you didn't, you can pretend you did